Well, you know what they say about Episcopalians. Wherever four shall gather, a fifth shall appear. Uh, yeah, don't laugh at that. That's stolen. That's awful. That's, that's bad. Welcome to another version of Coyote Tales. I'm your host, Donna Shannon, formerly Donna Coyote, formerly like a whole crap load of names. But anyways, thank you for joining me today on our journeys through my darker past as I give you a little bit of a hint into the mind of an alcoholic. Well, I'll, I'll be honest, I've been sober now for over 20 years. Uh, so fortunately, this is a really good thing for pretty much the whole world. Yeah. The world is definitely a much safer place with me being sober. And let me tell you, I was definitely a hardcore drunk. I am not like these lightweight women you see hanging out in their she sheds and they're like drinking their bottles of wine and they're like, oh, Judy, I am so trash. I have had just like two glasses of wine and it went straight to my head. No, uh, uh-uh. nope. I was the kind of drunk who would drink my gem beam straight out of the bottle, standing in the kitchen, staring outside the window, just like a man. Yeah, I, I, I honestly never really got mixed drinks very much either. I mean, why would you waste space with all that soda, water, ice? Fuck ice, okay? You know, ice is the crevices that hide the booze and then the waitresses try to steal it away from you. Oh yeah, I would fight the waitresses for that ice. I earned every single drop of that alcohol and I was going to eat every single one of those ice cubes. So yeah, yeah I might have even licked the glass a time or two. I'm, I'm not real proud of it, but I do have to admit it. But, uh, and long as we're on admitting things, you know, I did drugs too, man mostly pot and meth. Oh yeah, there's a great combo. So I'm basically going to forget what the hell I was doing, but I'm going to do it really fast and for three days straight. I All of this stuff, it got so bad. Even my poor cat turned into an addict. I'm not proud of this. And I'm not talking about catnip or stealing some beer or, you know, even shotgunning a bong hit right into his face. But don't judge if you're a stoner, you know you've done it too. And yeah, your cat freaking loved it. But uh, my cat, my cat would steal my meth. Oh my God. Yeah. And then he would just rip around the whole apartment. It was like watching NASCAR in miniature in my house. NASCAT, if you will. Just meow, meow. Meow. What was impressive is he's running on the ceiling while he's doing that. And he didn't even have any claws. Good Lord. But I think his downfall that set off his addiction was he got into the magic mushrooms when he was like about four months old. And I didn't do it on purpose. I swear. I had, you know, we were experimenting. I didn't do a lot of hallucinogenics, but, you know, the, the mushrooms were just on the table and me and my boyfriend come walking up and the cat is looming over the bag of mushrooms and he's got one sitting on his lip and he looks at us with that baleful stare in his eye and the next thing I know the mushroom is in his mouth and he has eaten it and I'm like oh my god can mushrooms kill cats spoiler alert it does not but it does give them a very 
interesting evening. Man, all he did was just sit around in my boyfriend's nasty boot and watch the vapor trails. Whoa. Whoa. But, yeah, I don't even understand how he got into eating meth. Because that doesn't taste very good, by the way. Um, yeah, when it, earwax tastes better than meth, it, I don't know how the cat even got the idea to do that. But, man, I got sober. I mean, that cat would just, like, walk up to me, just shake it and go, What do you mean you quit? I can't call the dealer. You gotta hook me up, man. But here's the thing. Nobody ever really tells you about the financial impact of sobriety. So in my case, when I got sober, there were two bars and three liquor stores in my neighborhood that shut down. Yeah, it was rough. You know, it, it got so bad, my dealer, he had to start pawning his own stuff just to make rent. And my God, I did so much meth that when I quit, Walter White actually had to go back to teaching. That's serious. And your pot, oh my God. The only way the marijuana industry could recover in Colorado was they had to make it legal. That's a lot of pot. But here's the interesting thing. As I used to work in radio, that's actually where I was a pretty cool job. I was a morning show producer here at KBPI in Denver, which is the heavy metal station in case you didn't know. And uh, drugs will make you do all kinds of weird things. So... I quit that job, and uh, at first I was going to become a truck driver. That didn't work out. I'll tell you about that next. But uh, then I landed on my other dream job. Yes, I actually got to become a club DJ. Now, before you get too impressed with that, um, it was just part-time, and it was day shift for a strip club in Boulder, Colorado. If you don't know what Boulder is like, um, it's kind of a weird place. It's like a mix of upper middle crap, uh, okay, yuppies, you know, and uh, not even the hipsters, like totally the douchebag kind of judgmental upper crust people. Uh, and then hippies. Like, if you want to know where all the hippies in the world went, if they're not in San Francisco, they're here in Boulder. And... Uh, this strip club, it wasn't exactly like a glamorous place, you know. It's not like one of those places that serves steak dinner and has like strippers that Trump can afford. No, this is more like where your grandfather and your creepy uncle might hang out. Uh, and they served like dried out, old, tough chicken strips with a side of penicillin. And I, and I think you actually needed the penicillin for the chicken strips more than for the girls, just to be honest. And uh, let me tell you this, ladies, there are just some things that should not smell like patchouli. But all these kind of hippie dancers had some weird standards too. Like all their sequins had to be sourced from global nonprofits. You know, all the G-strings had to be made from hemp. But, you know, at least at the end of the night, you could smoke that at the end of your shift if you had to. But... It's rather an interesting experience. Not, not really recommended. But here's a, here's a question. Is there such a thing as an organic pussy? Because you know what? They won't eat it in Boulder unless it is. So anyways, that's, that's actually where I was working when I got sober of all the weird places. I uh, 
was picked, that's a story for another time, maybe I'll tell you later, but basically I got picked up on a failed suicide attempt and I was put into like a 72-hour mental health hold, and uh, so I missed a couple of ships at the club, right? And I get out and I'm there at the club the next day and I'm checking the ladies in because that's what you do at your shift at, you know, 11 a.m. And all the gals were like, gee, Donna, where were you? And I go, man, I was in rehab. Turns out I'm an alcoholic. And all the strippers, all of them were like, oh, gee, Donna, we could have told you that. So another important life tip there. If strippers are telling you that you have a problem with drugs and alcohol, you might want to do something about it because that's a bad sign. Definitely a bad sign. Like most previous drunks, I have quite a few war stories. War stories are like, you know, being drunk and having drunk things happen to you. And as I promised, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about when we were bottoming out in Salt Lake City. So, I was married to Mike at the time. We were newlyweds. We had only been married a couple of months. Got married on air. Very cool. And uh, in between that time, from when I quit the radio station and before I started at strip club, we got the brilliant idea that we were going to become truck drivers. Yeah, you know, 18-wheelers, long-haul truck drivers, all the rest of that, right? So we get into a program with the trucking company out in Salt Lake City. And they're going to train us and all the rest of this. And, you know, just brilliant move. We give away all of our stuff. We say goodbye to everybody. And we're going to hit the road and see you later, right? So we get out there to Salt Lake City. Mike fails the physical. I fail the drug test, of course. And now we have to get the hell out of there and figure out what are we going to do? Let me just say this. The trucking company was so desperate to get rid of us, they actually bought us bus tickets back to Denver. They never do that. But no, we were serious problem childs and they wanted nothing to do with us. We get a bottle. We head over to this we're going to hang out at this truck stop until it's time to get on the bus, right? Also in our brilliance at the truck stop is we decide to go ahead and do some drunk calls on people because that's what you do when you're brilliant and drunk. And uh, our thing was we were just going to call a bunch of people and give them death threats. That's brilliant. Especially you don't want to call people in a radio station where everything is recorded. But one of the ones I am kind of proud of is uh, I had Mike call up one of my exes and uh, convince him that I had been killed by a serial killer and that this guy was a serious suspect in the crime. Then we meander our drunken asses over to the bus station, but it doesn't run 24-7. So it's about 2 a.m. and we get kicked out of the bus station because they have to shut things down. And on the other side of the street is the park like city park or whatever it is in salt lake city and so here we are we're starting to get sober oh my god and we're on the sidewalk trying to protect all our shit and these crack whores from the park start coming out and they're like circling us like sharks that's going walking back and forth and back and forth i'm passing out mike is gonna stand guard against the crack whores in this time, we are now waiting for my mom's boyfriend to come and rescue us. 
So she gives him some money and puts him in her Thunderbird and he is on the way to rescue us. And he arrives somewhere around sunrise. And that white car pulls up to the side of the street and he steps out and his like thinning balding hair is like making a halo around his ugly face. But all we can see is as he pulls it out from the back seat of the car, a full, full, I don't know, like maybe a gallon, a quart, whatever. It looked like heaven to me. And it was actual Jack Daniels. And we were so much more happy to see the Jack Daniels than we were to see Jared. Yeah. And uh, as we're driving away, Mike leans his head out the window at all the crack whores in the park, and he's like, I hope you get swept off the face of the earth. Funny thing is, a week later, a tornado runs through the middle of Salt Lake City in the middle of Crackhead Park. I don't know if the horse got picked up with that or not, but it was definitely interesting timing because, you know, as drunks, we can control the weather. Jared had a wonderful idea. He knew a great hotel where he could get a good deal and we could like hold up for a day, get some rest, get some food, and then drive back to Denver after that. So he heads west to the hot vacation spot known as Wendover, Nevada. Did I mention that Jared has a gambling problem? <laughs> yeah, he didn't give a shit about getting a hotel room. He just wanted to go gamble. And we're like, fine, whatever. You brought us Jack Daniels. We'll do whatever you want, right? So we get there. We get two separate rooms. We get some rest and all the rest of this. And then we go down and we start gambling because while you're gambling, drinks are free. And so Jared and Mike are playing blackjack at a table and I'm sitting at one of the nickel slots and I'm plugging away and I look over and there is a waitress who is flirting with Mike. And I'm like, oh, well, this is just completely unacceptable. And I'm watching this and it keeps going on for like minutes, five, 10 minutes. I don't know. And finally, I just can't take it anymore. And I stand up and my best indignant yell all the way across the, the room because I am going to beat the shit out of this waitress. I go, well, I guess you have to have a dick to get a drink in here. And Mike looks over and he's all like, oh my God, she is going to tear this waitress face off. Not because she was flirting with my husband, but because she was slow on delivering my drink. Oh, what a crime. What a crime. So Mike comes over, rescues me. He's like, let's get you something to eat. That might be a good idea. You've been drinking for 24 hours straight. And I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. Get some food, feel better, go upstairs, we pass out. Next thing we know, it's the next day. Nobody's seen Jared. Where the hell is Jared? So Jared's adventures did not stop when we went to bed. It was probably somewhere around two or three in the morning and at this point, Jared is down to running the penny slots. And uh, he's getting desperate. He's running out of money. There's like a little old lady in there or something who's running a couple of different slot machines simultaneously. And he sneaks up on one of them and he hits cash out, right? And he steals her jackpot of pennies. 
Uh, to which, of course, he gets thrown out of the casino. So he doesn't think to go up to his room. He goes and he gets into the car in the parking garage. And the casino's like, well, this is not cool. So they call the cops on him. And a cop shows up, knocks on the door, like, what's up, sir? And Jared takes one look at this guy. And he's had a few to drink, I'm sure. But Jared takes one look at him and he goes, ugh, you can't be a real cop. You're a Mexican. It's like, did I mention Jared's also a racist? Yeah, oh, I know, the guy's a charmer, isn't he? The cop did not take too kindly to that statement. And Jared gets on his cell phone. He's like, I'm going to call the real police because you can't be a real cop. Obviously, uh, so the cop lets him do that. Other cops show up. It's like, nope, cop number one is indeed one of our boys. And you, sir, are going to jail. And we find out from mom that Jared's in jail. Now we have to wait another couple of more days for him to get arraigned and figure out what the hell is going on. So mom is wiring us money. We're hanging out in Wendover, Nevada. But we're also, of course, bottoming out drunks. So we are going to, in a dramatic, so dramatic fit, going to kill ourselves by walking out into the desert and keeling over and letting the buzzards just have our bodies. It's not really a brilliant plan, but it's what we're going to do. We just start walking out from the hotel into the desert. And there's, you know, like some government vehicles around, jeeps, shit like this. And uh, we don't get too far. I mean, we walk maybe a mile or two. And then we're like, you know what? It's really hot in the desert. And uh, there seems to be a hell of a lot more cars swarming around that fence they seem real serious do they have guns are those guns yeah those look like rifles you know what? oh fuck this whole plan let's just go back to the bar and get some something else to drink as it turns out we were walking towards a military facility and one of those military facilities that does not really fuck around <laughs> so our suicide plan might have worked out certainly we might have joined a uh, Jared in jail because it's like how do you explain that one we're going to go walk into the desert and die so long story short we rescue Jared from jail we drive back to Colorado we have to have mom wire us money two more times along the way and then uh, that's where we just moved into her basement I got my glorious job up at the strip club and history was in the making and that is indeed children the horrors of trying to bottom out in salt lake city well thank you very much for joining me tonight and today or whatever time of the day it happens to be my producer always reminds me if you like what you're hearing give us a like give us a follow give us a comment and if you don't like it um just keep it to yourself man don't be mean there's enough meanness in the world already And until next time, this is Donna Shannon on Coyote Tales.